Well, good morning and a warm welcome to the service this morning to be able to come together uh, once more to worship God uh, in this way. One or two intimations, uh, just to say first of all that the evening service will be online just for, or just at 6pm sharp and it's a live stream and I'll take that service myself, uh, God willing. Uh, the YF will meet on Zoom at half past seven tonight as uh, usual and uh, the midweek meeting will be a prayer meeting but it also uh, will be the AGM uh, and that will be on Zoom uh, this Wednesday as well on the usual modes at half past seven. Uh, I also uh, got uh, uh, a message to share uh, with uh, the secondary school uh, girls. Uh, there will be a girls group or the girls group which was meeting before uh, will meet again from this coming uh, Tuesday. So the intimations here uh, from Iona and from Gillian. Starting on Tuesday the 23rd at 8pm, girls group are going to begin the Better Than Life study. There will be nine weekly sessions that will be on Zoom. Sessions will last about 45 minutes for all secondary aged girls. Please get in touch with Gillian McSween or Iona McLeod. Uh, she'll be Iona Morrison in just a few days. And so you can get more information. If so that's this coming uh, Tuesday. The other thing to say is that uh, for next Sunday, uh, we hope to be able to, to meet uh, back in the church uh, for the morning service anyway. Uh, I can't be categoric about that because we haven't got the final confirmation. There's a final decision will be made on Tuesday um, as to whether or not we're able to, to meet uh, back at the, the 50 uh, restriction within the, within the church building. So uh, we hope that will happen. And uh, if it does, the intention will be to meet as we did before. Uh, on a rota system in the church building and uh, you'll get uh, a, an email or a text message as you did before just to give confirmation uh, so uh, these i think are all the intimations so let's uh, unite our hearts and let's, let's pray together our heavenly father we thank you for uh, this your day uh, we thank you once more you've given us the opportunity you've given us desire to come into this place or wherever we are come before you and to unite our hearts in prayer to unite our, our voices, distant from each other, albeit in worship, and to wait upon you with the expectation that those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed because they, because we will meet with the Lord. And we ask that you would help us uh, for this hour, whatever we are, to, to remember that we are meeting with you. We're not simply tuning into a broadcast. We're not uh, simply watching a program like we watch on a television screen in normal circumstances, but enable us to be reminded of the fact that we are in uh, the act of worship just now and that you have promised that where two or three of your people meet together in whatever uh, means we meet together, you will be with us. And we thank you for who you are, that you are the God of Jacob, even as we sang in that last verse. We think about what we know of Jacob, the schemer, the one who was deceitful, the one who was fallen in so many ways. And yet the one who was enabled to come into your presence. The one who was received and accepted by you. And that speaks to us of, of your grace for which we are thankful. We cannot come in our own name. We cannot come on the basis of our own attempts at good works even. But we come because you are a God of grace. A God who gives to us who deserve the worst uh, your best. You have not treated us, Lord, as our sins deserve because you have treated Jesus your son as our sins deserve. And we thank you that when we come in Jesus' name, when we come trusting in the, the finished work of Christ, the fact that he lived for us, the fact that he, he died for us, the fact, as we remember on this Lord's Day, especially that he rose for us, when we come trusting in his finished work, we thank you that we are accepted, that we are received, and that we can 
expect to find blessing in your presence. He is the one who took the curse that our sin deserved from us in order that we can be blessed. And so we pray that wherever we are, we would know your blessing at this time for every family, for every couple, for every individual person who is in this act of worship just now. We pray that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us, or that you would give refreshment uh, to those who feel jaded, that you would give strength uh, to us in our weakness, that you would give to us, Lord, uh, that grace which is sufficient to enable us to go uh, on in strength, your strength, not ours. We pray that you would give to us that uh, forgiveness, that soul cleansing that comes from uh, being sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We pray that you would give to us your spirit, the one who is able to stir our hearts, the one who is able to open our eyes and unblock our ears so that we could see and hear and know that we are in the presence of the risen Christ. So Lord, meet with us, we pray. May we be able to, to say from our hearts how lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts to me. We pray that you would help us, Lord. Uh, we are a people who are needy, and you know the needs of each person, each home uh, that uh, we are connected with even in these moments. We pray for those who, who struggle with illness, that uh, you would uh, lay your hand of, of uh, healing and grace upon them. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with those who feel that sense of loneliness, that they would know uh, that you are close to them. And we pray that uh, you would help us as your people to, to be mindful of each other and to reach out uh, to each other in the ways that we can at this time. We pray for those who battle uh, with addictions and who may feel despair, who may feel like they are chained. Uh, we pray that you would break the chains, uh, Lord, that you intervene and work in the lives of those who struggle uh, with particular addictions. We pray for those, Lord, who may be healthy, who may be wealthy, who may have no worries in terms of the things of this world, but who are lost. Some who may be uh, listening with one ear, others who may have no thought to me. Uh, be wandering around in different places who may be engaged in different activities. We pray, Lord, that you would awaken the souls of many in this place and in all the places that we're connected with. Uh, we ask that you would speak with the voice that wakes the dead, uh, make the people hear the good news about Jesus. This is something that no preacher can do. It's something that no individual can do. We are powerless to be able to make any difference whatsoever spiritually in a life. But we pray, Lord, that you would move in the power of your spirit, that those who are still blind would have eyes open, and those who are your people, Lord, that we would be touched, that our hearts uh, would be stirred, uh, that we would be revived. We pray, Lord, for our, our nation at this time. Uh, we anticipate uh, being able to meet again next Lord's Day, and uh, we hope and pray, Lord, that that will be possible. We pray for wisdom for those you have allowed to be in leadership. We pray, as we have done uh, over these months, now into a year, that they would look to you. They seem so determined not to, not to acknowledge the, the reality of God. But we pray that you would uh, enable them, enable us as a nation to turn back from our, our wicked ways and to look. And we ask, Lord, uh, that uh, you would be at work uh, across the world. We have the freedom to be able to meet. We know that there are many places where there are no such freedoms. As we think of countries like that where there's no liberty to meet physically, uh, to worship you, and uh, where there's no liberty even to meet virtually to worship you. We pray that you would strengthen, that you would encourage, that you would embolden uh, the persecuted church. We thank you that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus built. And we pray that uh, you, Lord Jesus, would continue to build your church across all nations and continue to build your church here, we pray also. And we pray for the girls group as they uh, meet for the first time on Tuesday since a while. We ask that you would bless them. 
We pray for the, the meetings ahead of us in this week, the prayer meeting, uh, the AGM. We pray for wisdom. We pray for encouragement as we meet as uh, your people. Uh, we pray, Lord, for uh, the appointments ahead of us this week as well. We think especially of Andrew and Iona as they prepare to be married this Saturday. We ask that you would bless them, Lord, that you would be near to them, that you would guide them in the preparation uh, for the wedding and that you would bless them in uh, their married life, that they would put and keep Christ at the centre and that they may know your blessing and that they may be a blessing uh, to those they come into contact with. So hear our prayers, uh, take away our sin, lead us and guide us, we pray, as we seek to worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, the story that we'll read in just a second, a true story of a woman uh, who had lots of sins in her life and yet who found forgiveness and who found peace and who found everlasting life in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to be like this woman uh, who didn't hold back, but who came to Jesus, trusting in him and finding forgiveness for sin. We pray for all the boys and girls that they uh, would know for sure that they are forgiven. We pray for all the older ones who might have been holding back for lots of years. We pray that uh, they, that each one of us would know that our sins are forgiven, that we have peace with God, that we have everlasting life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could turn with me now, please, to Luke uh, chapter 7. Uh, we read uh, part of this passage uh, last week. We read from verses 1 uh, down to verse 17, I think. Uh, the account of uh, the, the centurion whose servant was sick, uh, who, who came to Jesus uh, and uh, whose uh, servant was made well. And we read the account also of the, the woman whose son had died and Jesus raised her son from the dead. Uh, and uh, we... We'll read from verse uh, 16, just at the end of that passage. After Jesus had raised uh, this, this boy from the dead and, and given him back to his mother, it says in verse 16, uh, as God speaks through Luke here, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. And at verse 18, Luke 7, verse 18. John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, uh, told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way be before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard this, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. 
To what then can I compare this people, the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say he is a, here is a drunkard, a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owned, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. She did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word uh, to us. Uh, We'll pray just for a moment again. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would uh, send the Holy Spirit, that he would work in each of our hearts, uh, that we would be enabled to see not only the truth of what happened and what was said back then, uh, these thousands of years ago, but we pray that we would know uh, the reality of that truth pressing in upon our own souls and our own lives. Uh, Apply these things to us, we pray, uh, that we would know that you are God and that you are speaking directly and personally into our own lives. So minister to us, we pray, through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we pray for ourselves here, we pray for the children in uh, their Sunday school lessons. We pray for the churches around us uh, and every congregation where Christ crucified is preached. We pray, Lord God, that you would be working and uh, that you would be drawing many people to Christ as he, we pray, is lifted up. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching one of these uh, TV shows uh, a week or two back. I think it was called uh, Celebrity Home Cook. And uh, the... The challenge for that particular day was a, was a baking challenge. They had various dishes to make. And uh, on this particular day that I'm remembering, uh, there was a baking challenge. And all the contestants were having to, to bake uh, cakes. And, and everything looked fine as they were going through their task. Uh, all these cakes or the cake mixers seemed to be uh, coming together, all except one. Uh, there was one contestant uh, who, at the end of the, the stage, before she put the stuff in the oven, uh, just had a big wet mix that had been kind of poured into the, the cake tin. A big wet mix went into the cake tin, it went into the oven, and then 20 minutes later, uh, a big wet sticky mix came back out of the oven. Uh, it didn't look any different to the way it was when it went in. And uh, the reason for this problem was that she had forgotten to put the flour in. 
and I'm no baking expert, I'm kind of speaking without my, uh, out of my comfort zone here, but uh, I think uh, if you're trying to bake a cake, uh, flour is a vital ingredient. And in a spiritual sense, when we think about salvation, the vital ingredient for, for salvation is faith. And not just any faith, but faith in, in Jesus. And if we think about the passages we've been re- reading in, in the past few weeks in Luke chapter 7, uh, the Pharisees have been a great example uh, teaching us that negatively. The Pharisees, as a group of people, uh, they had a great knowledge of the scriptures. Uh, they were exercised in going to church meetings. Uh, they could make uh, long, uh, wordy prayers that sounded very impressive. Uh, they were serious about keeping the, the Sabbath day holy. Uh, but they were lost. They weren't saved, simply because they didn't have faith in Jesus. And we can look back over church history and see this uh, time and time again. Think about Martin Luther. Uh, there was no more serious churchman uh, than Martin Luther. He was an Augustinian uh, monk for quite a period. Uh, very, very serious about, about the things of God. Uh, he, he dedicated himself to, to fasting for long periods, uh, uh, for long hours of prayer. Uh, he dedicated himself to, to going on spiritual pilgrimages. He, he had frequent uh, confessions of sin, but he had no peace. And the harder he worked, uh, the more he seemed to be far away from this peace that he was looking for. And then one day, when he was reading through Romans, his eyes were opened and he suddenly saw that the the, the key to salvation, the vital ingredient to salvation that he was lacking was not religious fervor, but it was faith in Jesus. Faith in who Jesus was and is. Faith in what Jesus had done in living and dying and rising to save us. And what I want to look at today uh, for the time that we have is... uh, It really continues on from from last week. I want to to scan the whole of Luke chapter 7 and consider some more lessons on on faith. I want us to think about uh, what faith is and uh, what faith is not. And the first point uh, that takes us from verse 1 to verse 10 is we can see that faith is not irrational. Point one is faith is not irrational. And we see that in relation to the centurion that we looked at last week. Uh, with centurion uh, was in this situation, his servant whom he cared for, whom he loved, uh, whom he, it says in verse 2, uh, valued highly. He was sick. In fact, he was more than sick. He was terminally ill. He was about to die. But the centurion had heard of Jesus, it says in verse 3. And this centurion, he acted on what he had heard about Jesus. So this centurion, his approach to Jesus, uh, yes, it was a step in faith, but it was based on facts. It's based on rationale. One of the commentators, uh, Milne, says the Roman centurion uh, would have heard of the remarkable feats of Jesus in healing the sick, in casting out demons, and controlling the natural powers. His faith, to some extent, therefore, rested on the facts of Jesus' life. Faith, says Milne, is never an irrational leap, but a personal commitment to Christ partly informed by the recorded facts about Jesus. Faith is not irrational. Faith does not involve disconnecting your brain, your mind. And that's an important lesson, I think, for us to learn and to to hold on to in in a very sceptical world. Uh, We often meet people uh, who say to us that we're Christians, well, you may have your faith, but I'm a science man. You know, I'm a scientific thinker. Uh, I like to deal with hard facts. I use my mind. I like to think through things rationally. And that's what the centurion did. We see that here. He thought through things rationally. He heard facts about Jesus. He listened to the testimonies about the works 
of Jesus. And the centurion's thought process, his rationale uh, was, well, I believe that this Jesus may be able to heal my servant on the basis of what I've heard about this Jesus. So I'm going to take a step of faith and approach him. Now we today, as we try to apply this to our own lives and situations, uh, we know more about Jesus than the centurion ever did. We have more historical facts to consider. Uh, We have heard through credible historical sources that have uh, lasted the course of time. Remember, this Bible, which has been so much under attack, has never been able to be buried. It's never been able to be destroyed. It's never been able to be disproved. There is more historical evidence for the text of Scripture than any other book in history. So we have heard through credible historical sources that this Jesus, he lived, that's proven, that he died and he rose from the dead so that sinners can be saved. We read that in scripture, go to a a historical text that are not scriptural of that time, like Josephus, they too will, will confirm this. This is what was heard about Jesus. These are the facts that were uh, on the street about Jesus at that time. So we have much more to consider than the centurion ever did. But the question, I think, for us today is, will we come to Jesus as the centurion did? Will we act on what we have heard about Jesus? Will we, based on what Dr. Luke records for us in this orderly account, uh, will we come to Jesus and seek healing for our hearts? And for the skeptics, if there are those who are uh, behind the camera there, who are, who are tuning in uh, with a great uh, measure of skepticism, I would urge you, uh, keep reading about Jesus. Keep listening to what Jesus uh, has said. Uh, do some digging if you want. Go to the, uh, the, the biblical and the non-biblical evidence. Uh, don't dismiss Jesus just because this world tells you to. To do that is to take an irrational leap of faith based on secular theories and cultural pressures. Now consider the evidence. Think rationally. And I pray that uh, for the sceptic, you too may like the centurion in God's time come to Jesus. So that's the first point. Uh, faith is not irrational. The second point that takes us through from verse uh, 11 to verse uh, 16 is that faith is not proof-dependent. We go to the other uh, extreme here. Faith is not proof-dependent. Faith is not irrational. It's uh, it's based on biblical facts. It's based on the gospel truth about Jesus. But faith, on the other hand, is not proof-dependent. It's not something that uh, is produced in a test tube. And we learn that even as we think about the definition of faith in, in Hebrews. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we might ask the question even at this point, um, why is it that Jesus, why is it that God requires us to have faith in him? And the answer to that is because God is calling us into relationship. And love and trust are the foundations of a relationship. Uh, Think about Andrew and Iona, who who plan to be married this coming uh, Saturday. Now, as they marry, uh, they don't require each other to present present, uh, uh, proofs on their their wedding day that they will be uh, good spouses. They don't sit down with uh, proofs and evidences and then come to some kind of decision. Will we go ahead with this or will we not? No, No, what they do on their wedding day is they declare their love for and their trust in each other. That's the foundation for a loving relationship. And that's what God requires from us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to to love him. And if we struggle with that, then where do we look? Well, I would say, as I so often do, look to the cross. Look to the cross where we see God the Son dying to save us. Look to the cross because that's where we see how much God loved us 
before we ever loved him and how much we can trust him, how faithful he is. We sometimes sing that uh, hymn, uh, my faith looks up cross direction. It looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Saviour divine. Faith comes from looking up to Christ. It comes from looking up uh, to that cross. Now again, a word to the sceptic. You may uh, say if you're uh, sceptical just now, well, uh, you see that with your open Bible. But I want proof. I want uh, proof. And if I had proof, if I could see with my eyes that all that Jesus teaches is true, if, if God did a miracle, uh, a supernatural work in my life, then I would believe. But not until then. But to such a person, I would say, would you really believe if God was to, to do a work like that in your life? Because that's not what we see in these verses from 11 through to 16. Uh, we see the raising of a dead man with hundreds, if not thousands, of witnesses. There's no more compelling proof uh, than, uh, than this of the power and the authority uh, of Jesus. The crowd witnessed firsthand Jesus stop a funeral procession, touch a coffin, speak to a dead man who rises back up and is reconciled with his mother. And yet the crowd, in their response, largely they don't believe in Jesus. It says in verse 16, uh, they were filled with awe and they praised God. There was a huge emotional response on that day that looked so promising. But for most of that crowd, it didn't cause them to, to put their faith in Christ. They didn't have saving faith. They said in verse 16, that a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people, they said. They see Jesus as a great prophet. They, they see Jesus as one through whom God is helping uh, his people. But in spite of such compelling proof of who Jesus was and is, they, they don't put their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And this same crowd that was so filled with awe on that day uh, are highly likely to be a large part of the same crowd uh, who before too long would be shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. So how do we apply this? Well, I think one of the ways that we apply this is we, uh, we need to... We need to recognize, I want to say to those uh, who are waiting uh, for God to give some kind of miraculous proof to them, I would say to those who are waiting uh, for some hard, supernatural proof to be driven into your life, I would say stop waiting. For those who are trying to do deals with God, stop asking for that. Stop waiting. Because even if we got it, likely it wouldn't persuade the person who doesn't want to believe. The reality is we see Jesus more clearly today than these crowds did on that day. We hear more of what Jesus said than these crowds uh, did because we have the New Testament. But in order for us to be saved, we don't need more proof. We simply need to respond to all that God has given to us in Scripture by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are more than a great prophet, but I believe that you are the Son of God who lived and died and rose to be my Savior. Please save me. That's how we should respond. Faith is not a rational, point number one. Uh, faith is not proof dependent, point number two. The third thing is faith is not doubt proof or doubt resistant. And that takes us uh, from verse 17 uh, through to verse uh, 35. Faith is not doubt proof or faith is not doubt resistant. Uh, most of us have, have had the experience at, at some point of, of leaning forward whilst washing the dishes, forgetting that our phones are in our top pockets and watching our phones in slow motion dropping out of our top pockets and splashing into a basin of, of soapy water. Now, what happens next when that happens? Well, we get our phones out as quickly as possible. Because mobile phones, at least no mobile phone that I've ever owned, mobile phones, they're, they're, not, they're not waterproof. They're not uh, water-resistant. And faith is not doubt-proof. It's not doubt-resistant. We can be real, genuine Christians. 
We may even be uh, mature Christians and yet find that doubts about God get in. And this takes us to John. We're looking here from verse 17 through to verse 35. Uh, We see uh, here John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, uh, of all people, is probably one of the, the least likely people we would have thought to have doubts about Jesus. And yet we see we see that happening here. In verse 17, it says that this news about Jesus, everyone was talking about Jesus, and this news about Jesus uh, spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told them about all these things, verse 18. Now that should prompt us to ask the question, why do John's disciples have to tell John about what Jesus is saying and doing? Why could John not see and hear this himself? And the answer to that question we find back in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Uh, because we see there John being thrown into prison. And so John the Baptist at this point, he's still in prison. In fact, John the Baptist is not ever getting out of prison alive. Herod's wife would make sure of that. So things were not going well for John. And as John was going through uh, that hard time, he began to have doubts about Jesus. And in application, let me just say that this happens. That may encourage uh, somebody who's watching uh, even today. This kind of thing happens. And often when circumstances are difficult, uh, when we are not getting the freedom and the fellowship that we once had, that was John's experience. To an extent, it's our experience just now. When our mood gets low, spiritually speaking, doubts can creep in. And John seems to have doubts here about Jesus, probably because of the, the dark circumstances that he found himself in in that prison cell. But perhaps the other reason that, uh, that John was wrestling with doubts was because Jesus wasn't doing ministry the way that John expected. John had prophesied uh, that when the Messiah would come, this is Luke chapter 3, verse 17, uh, he would burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But at this point, uh, Jesus, as far as John could see, wasn't doing much burning up. Instead of blasting the Pharisees with sermons about wrath like John did, Jesus was having dinner in their homes. He was reaching out to them. He was calling people like Nicodemus, the Pharisee, uh, to be born again. See, Jesus wasn't doing things the way that John expected. And it caused him to doubt. And again, this can happen to us. Sometimes in our lives, Jesus doesn't do things the way that we expect. Sometimes the Christian life uh, can be hard to understand. Sometimes it can be difficult to follow Jesus. Sometimes life doesn't make sense to us. And we begin to doubt the wisdom of this course that Jesus seems to be guiding us along. If John could doubt, then you and I can doubt. But when it happens, the lesson here that is so critical is when this happens, let's not allow doubts to crush us. Let's know what to do with doubts. Let's not allow doubts to get in and cause decay and spiritual breakdown. But let's do what John did. And that's take our doubts to Jesus. Verse 18, uh, calling two of them, he sent them to ask. That's the disciples of John. He sends them to ask uh, the Lord, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? So John's question here uh, is very direct. Uh, He's asking Jesus, are you really the Messiah? It's almost an offensively honest question, and yet he asked it, and Jesus answered it. And this is a pattern that we see uh, in the Psalms also. In various Psalms, we find David the Psalmist in extreme difficulty, under intense pressure, wrestling with doubts, with an abundance of whys going through his mind. And what he does is he takes them all up, and he presents them to the Lord in these these prayers that we have in the Psalms. So if there's someone watching today, or someone uh, who's listening today, Uh, who's wrestling with doubts, and I I would be surprised if there isn't. I want to say, take these doubts to the Lord. Don't bury them. Uh, Don't pretend they're not there. Don't turn away from the Lord, but take your doubts to him. Because that's what John did. Verse 19. 
verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, how does Jesus respond? Well, you'll know that he responds through scripture. Verse 21 and 22. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. So in verse 21, we see Jesus carrying on doing what he was doing. Healing uh, the sick. Uh, curing those who had evil spirits. Giving sight to those who were blind. He carries on with these, uh, these actions. And then he replies to the messengers in verse 22. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the pure. Uh, the, the poor. Uh, so, so Jesus' response uh, was, first of all, to act out, and then to speak out a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah, in Isaiah 35, was, was speaking of the, the coming Messiah and what would happen uh, when the Messiah would come, how one could detect, one, how one could know that the Messiah had come. And Isaiah says this, he says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And so Jesus says to the disciples of John, Go and tell John. That what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6. I go and tell him that what, what Isaiah said is happening in real time now. We're seeing it happening. He answers the doubts of John with the word of God. And that's what dealt with. That's what overcame John's doubts. And it's the word of God that deals with and overcomes our doubts. For those who are wrestling uh, most acutely with doubts. I would hazard a guess that you're probably not very much in the word of God. Because it's the word of God that deals with and overcomes our doubts. Think again about the, the illustration of the mobile phone uh, that fell into the basin of water. Now, what do you do when you have a mobile phone that's fallen into water? This might be news to some people, but it's true. Uh, you take the phone and you put it in a big bowl of rice. And you leave the phone uh, in this bowl of rice for a couple of days, two or three days. And over the course of these days, the rice draws all the moisture out of the phone so that the phone usually starts to work again. And for us, when doubts get into our minds and our hearts, we go to the Bible. Uh, we immerse ourselves in the Bible. And as we are in Scripture, our doubts are drawn out and faith in Christ is strengthened. Verse 23 says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So did John fall away? Well, no, he didn't fall away. He was, he was faithful to the end. It was a difficult end. But he was faithful to the end. And Jesus, in verse 24 to, to verse 35, he commends John uh, for uh, his ministry. I haven't got time to go into that. But uh, the point is, John did not fall away on account of Jesus. And we will not fall away as long as we keep looking to uh, and, and listening to with open Bibles and speaking to in prayer uh, the Lord Jesus. So faith is not uh, doubt-proof. But it's the word of God that deals with us uh, and uh, strengthens our faith. And the final thing, very briefly, is uh, faith is not hidden. And that takes us from verse 36 uh, through to the end. Faith is not hidden. I could also say that a lack of faith is not hidden either. Remember in school, uh, in science class, uh, you, would, you would do the acid test. You'd be given the, uh, the, the beaker uh, with a, a clear liquid in it. And you had to try to understand what was this liquid. You couldn't see by looking. You couldn't, see by, you couldn't tell by smelling. But you were given the pH paper. And when the pH paper was dipped into the liquid, it would tell you whether it was uh, 
whether it was neutral, whether it was water, whether it was acid or or alkali. Uh, We called it the acid text. And saving faith, or the absence of it, is indicated, uh, not with a pH paper, but by our response to Jesus. That's the acid text. We see the faith, or the lack of it, in our response to Jesus. And uh, we see that in this final section, because we see two very different responses to Jesus. If you want an exposition of of this section, you can go back six months and listen to a sermon that Andy Longway preached um, in in the YouTube page. I just want to glance this very briefly as we finish. We see two very different responses to Jesus. We see uh, Simon the Pharisee's disrespect, and then we see the sinful woman's devotion. Simon the Pharisee's disrespect. So we read in verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now back in these days, there was an etiquette to having someone round for dinner. Uh, You would greet them with a kiss. You would have their sandals removed and their feet washed. Uh, you would anoint their head with a, a refreshing, fragrant oil. And it seems that Simon, who invites Jesus round for dinner, uh, he does none of that, which indicates to us that Simon's motives for inviting Jesus for dinner were probably not good. It may have been that he wanted to, to catch Jesus out in conversation. It may have been that uh, because Jesus was so popular and drawing so many crowds, uh, Simon just wanted a piece of that. He wanted uh, uh, to, to get some attention for himself by calling Jesus into his house. It's not clear exactly why Simon asked Jesus to come round. But what is clear is that Simon treated Jesus uh, with a disrespect that was characteristic of the Pharisees and showed uh, very clearly a lack of faith. And that was in huge contrast to this sinful woman's devotion. The King James Version and the the ESV are a bit more candid about this woman. Uh, She's described as a woman in the city. And uh, I don't think I need to spell that out. Uh, It's clear that she had a dark and lurid past. She came from a, a questionable profession. She was a woman with a bad reputation. But it seems that somewhere along the line, she had heard about Jesus and she had began to be uh, drawn to Jesus. And perhaps for a period, this woman, she believed, but secretly, staying under the radar. You know, after all, what would people uh, say when a, a woman uh, like her came to faith? But the reality was she, she, she couldn't stay hidden for long. And so here in Simon's house, At that dinner party, she comes forward. And she did everything for Jesus that Simon uh, didn't do. She she brought perfume with her to anoint Jesus. She washed his his feet with uh, her her tears, tears that expressed uh, sorrow for her sin. She anointed Jesus' feet uh, with this perfume that showed the humility. She bowed low before Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair, which was an act of uh, self-forgetful devotion and worship. She didn't care what people thought. She was so consumed with love and devotion for Jesus that all she could see in the room was Jesus. And so we ask, why such warm devotion from the woman and why such cold disrespect uh, from Simon? And Jesus makes clear through the parable that she, through faith in Jesus, had been forgiven her sin. But Simon, who had no faith in Jesus, did not even see the sin that he needed to be forgiven of. See, faith and the absence of it uh, cannot be hidden but it will always be seen in our response to Jesus. So as we finish, where are we today? That's the question. Who do we stand with? Who do we, who do we see ourselves in in this uh, closing section? Are we stiff-lipped, looking on uh, at Jesus from a distance, like Simon the Pharisee did, with a, a heart that was cold and eyes that are dry? Or are we with this woman, bowing low before Jesus, conscious of our sin, but trusting in Christ? as our saviour and saying from our hearts what we'll sing in a moment amazing 
grace. How sweet the sound that saved even a wretch like me. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would bless your word to us. Help us to see Jesus clearly and help us to see ourselves clear enough to know that we are those who are wretched because of our sin, but those who can be saved because of the amazing grace of Jesus. Help us to trust in him. Help us to receive by faith that grace that is offered uh, to all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen.